everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is not with me. He is still up in Boston enjoying the cold weather or dealing with the cold weather, I'm guessing. Uh, so instead, I'm going to be talking to Mr. Paul Tenorio of The Athletic. Uh, Paul returns from paternity leave. We appreciate that. Uh, to discuss all things Major League Soccer, we also appreciate that. Uh, we get into the moves that have happened, the coaching moves that have happened, uh, some of the rumors, what some teams need to do, and which teams have the most work to do uh, with a few months remaining before the start of the season. Uh, it's a nice long conversation. We go all over the place. We talk about a bunch of different teams, a bunch of different players, a bunch of different coaches, all that good stuff and much, much more. So with that said, I will turn it over to me talking to Paul. With me now on the line, I've got Paul Tenorio of The Athletic making his return to the show. Last time we talked, I believe, U.S. national team. This time we're talking MLS uh, rumors, transfers, moves that have happened. Paul, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today. Of course. Always happy to come on. Of course. And before we... Oh, see, actually, I, I appreciate you saying that. I don't know how true that is this time because uh, I wanted to start off by saying congrats on being a dad. Uh, how old is your child? She is uh, almost six months. She's about five and a half months. And so I'm assuming that with a six-month-old, you're like well-rested, super ready to talk all about soccer at <laughs> length and are really happy to be doing a bunch of media appearances rather than just taking care of your kid. You know what? Um... She's actually a, oh, I don't want to jinx myself here, a really good sleeper. And last night we put her in the crib in her own room for the first time and she slept through the entire night. And so I slept through the entire night, which was um, pretty amazing. So I actually am well wow. rested today and ready to go. She's at daycare, which, you know, that's a whole other beast I'm, I'm dealing. I'm, I am going through my own emotional process with that but uh no man it was uh I, i'm ready to roll all right Jane, well, then, then let's, got me ready let's do it and <laughs> and talk uh coaches up front uh oscar pareja now in orlando tab ramos now in houston uh what do you make of those moves and should their fan bases be excited i like both of them i mean starting with oscar pareja look he's a proven winner in this league and you know i i also really believe that um Coaches can't completely change cultures within a club. And so the the level of success at Orlando City won't be down to just the ability of Oscar Perea as a coach. We know that ability. We know he's a good coach. We know he can win in Major League Soccer. They have to change some of the ways that they operate. They have to change and allow people to do their jobs. They have to um, make Orlando City a, a place where people want to come to work Um and, and to try to build something that's sustainable. They've really struggled at that idea of sustainability. All that being said, I, I think Oscar Pereja is the perfect type of hire. He knows how to build. Uh, he knows how to build in the academy levels. He trusts playing young players. He knows the general manager, obviously, from their time in Dallas together. Uh, he understands how to recruit on a smaller budget. Because I know we think about Orlando City as kind of a mid-budget team because they've signed Kaká and they've signed Nani. Those are one-off signings. You know, the rest of those teams are built on a, I don't want to say shoestring budget, but pretty darn close to the lower spending side of Major League Soccer. That's not foreign to Oscar Pereja, who, who did the same in Dallas. So I think it, it fits in a lot of different ways. I think he'll do a, a really good job there. I'm interested to see how long it takes for them to get that roster to a point where it resembles an Oscar Pereja team with players that he's picked. But I thought it was a really good hire. Um, Tab Ramos as well. You know, look, Tab 
the thing I'm most excited about for with, with Tab is from all of my conversations with Tab when he was coaching the youth national teams and kind of asking him about how he saw himself as a professional coach in the future, that experience with youth, um, you know, he really wants to carry that forward. He really trusts young players to get the job done at the pro level. He would lament some of the young players he had that weren't playing for bad teams in MLS. And, you know, he felt like they should have been. Um, I think that's important for Houston. We talk about Houston like it's a small market team. It's a massive market. It's huge. And it should be performing far better than it has been, not just in its first team production and in the stands, but with its academy as well. And I think that Tab's a coach who is going to prioritize getting that academy up to speed and then convert those young players into first team um, players who can help the first team. So, uh, you know, I, I think we'll see also an exciting way of playing in Houston. Tab likes to press and run. I'm interested to see how that will work with Darwin Quintero, who's not exactly a defensive player. Um, I, I believe that Tab will have to make some adjustments to his system to hide Quintero's in, inability, frankly, or unwillingness to press uh, on the uh, higher sides of the field. But, you know, I think they're going to get out and run. And I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. I know MLS is MLS, so you can never say for sure who's going to have like strong seasons. But what do you think the expectations should be for Orlando fans and for Houston fans? Is this a we're definitely going to make the playoffs sort of thing? Is this a we're doing long-term planning to provide long-term stability sort of thing, which might mean maybe missing the playoffs? Yeah, I would lean more toward the latter. I think Houston is closer to competing than Orlando at this time because they have difference makers on the roster. You know, Albert Elise and Quintero, these are guys who can change a game at any moment. Uh, Orlando City, they have a huge opportunity right now. A lot of contracts came up that they can get off the books, and I think that's really important. You talk about Sasha Kleschen, uh, Will Johnson. Uh, you know, there were there were salaries that were holding back not just the the budget on the salary itself but the amount of allocation money that was necessary to buy those salaries down um and so they're going to have a chance to build and i think it's important to give give orlando that time to build i don't know that they'll be able to build quickly enough to be a playoff team next year that's not to say that they won't i just think that the fan base in Orlando needs to be more prepared for a longer build than necessarily Houston. Cause I think Houston can build while also using the players that they have at their disposal now to, to be, to be competitive for a playoff spot. But Orlando and Houston at least have uh, people in charge, have coaches. That is not the case for NYCFC, Inter-Miami, and Chicago Fire. Uh, I'm assuming that will not stay that way. I'm going to guess they will all have coaches by the beginning of the season. Uh, Paul, from what you've heard, what's the latest uh, for each of those three teams? Well, I think um, very different scenarios in each. I don't know what's going on in New York. I would imagine City Football Group has some candidates internally that they're going to look at. I know that some of the candidates that they were looking at prior um, are no longer in the mix. When Claudio Reyna was running things, now you have a new technical director, new sporting director, and David Lee. Uh, so I think that they – I don't want to say they had to start over, but certainly – uh, some of the candidates that were at the top of the list are no longer at the top of the list, from what I understand. Um, Miami is an interesting one. I, I think it's a story I'm going to write down the road for The Athletic on on what went into the coaching search there. 
Because when you look at what Taylor Twelman reported about that search, the names that Inter Miami have been chasing uh, are significant ones. And when you go after the biggest names possible, then you have to compete with some of the biggest clubs in the world. And, you know, Marcelo Gallardo was being, um, you know, was in the mix for the Barcelona job. And uh, whether that happens now or in the future, the fact that it was a real it's a real possibility absolutely is going to influence Gallardo's thinking about whether or not to go to Inter Miami. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick Vieira is in the mix for the Arsenal job. And so he's not going to pull the trigger on making a move to Inter Miami if he's got an opportunity to make a move to Arsenal. Um, these are problems that you have when you're willing to spend millions of dollars on a coaching staff to get the best possible coaches that you can. And I, I don't know what's going to happen because I think Miami has to be in a bit of a waiting period with Patrick Vieira to see what happens with that Arsenal job. I believe Patrick Vieira will be the coach if he's not the coach of Arsenal. Okay. Uh, and the Chicago Fire are... Um, <laughs> I, I chuckle because they're in, they're in the toughest situation yeah. right now. They are in the process of hiring a sporting director. Um, they've, they've, they've whittled it down to a short list of candidates. Those candidates were interviewed earlier this week for the job. And... Um, now they have to make that hire. I don't know if they'll make the hire immediately, if they have another round of interviews that they're going to try to schedule, if they, if they need to get it down to two candidates or if they want to sit down with their top candidate again. Um, we only know of, of one candidate so far, George Heights, who was the sporting director at FC Basel when they went to champions league and they won eight consecutive titles in Switzerland. Um, I believe it will be a foreign sporting director but once you make that hire, that sporting director has to get settled, move to the U.S., and then make a coaching hire. And so I have no idea how long that's going to take. But let's look at it. Today, we're in mid-December. Uh, let's say the hire happens next week, so you're you're transitioning from mid to late December. Then you've got the Christmas holiday. Um, you know, you're talking about potentially not hiring a coach until – early January, maybe even mid-January, just a couple weeks before the season starts, uh, the preseason starts. And in that same time frame, the sporting director is going to have to fill out an entire roster, including three open designated player spots, multiple open TAM positions. I have a feeling it's going to be a long year in Chicago. Um, that makes sense to me. Uh, what are you thinking the year will be like for Inter Miami? Uh, you said uh, they're looking at Gallardo. If Gallardo falls through, have you heard much about maybe who else they might be looking at? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, again, I think with Miami, the names that, that Twelman brought up, which were uh, Roberto Martinez, uh, Patrick Vieira, Marcelo Gallardo, are you know the names that they've been focused on. If, if Vieira falls through... Uh, and oh, I, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. I thought you were saying Vieira was a, a, a contender for for New York. I didn't realize you were no. saying – oh, wow. Okay, then. All right. No, no. Vieira is a contender for Miami. So if, if Vieira falls through, if, if, if Arsenal doesn't happen for Vieira – uh, I believe he will be the coach at uh, Inter Okay, now I understand. Okay, so then let's talk about their roster build for a moment because 
there are varying approaches to expansion. You could take the FC Cincinnati route. You can take the Atlanta United route. Uh, some teams have gone the Atlanta route and made the playoffs and been competitive right away. Some teams have done the Cincinnati route and done the opposite of that. Where would you put uh, in, Inter-Miami in this one? Do you expect them to sort of definitely try to build that roster to hit the ground running, make the playoffs right away? Or based on what you've seen, is it going to be more of a slow, uh, kind of dedicated building process? I think that Miami is going to spend a lot of money. That was kind and, of my assumption, yeah. Um, actually, I have a story coming out this week about the differing strategies in Nashville and Miami and, and kind of why they went that way and 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 the gambles that each side are, are taking by their different strategies. But, you know, they, they're going to spend money. And, you know, I think it's hilarious. All these names get connected to Miami because it's Beckham. And so people start to decide that you know it's gonna have to be Cavani or uh it's gonna have to be a name of that stature and meanwhile Miami wasn't saying anything about who they were talking to and then I report that they're in negotiations to sign Roger Martinez from Club America who is starting for arguably not arguably for one of the best teams in North America Mm -hmm. uh who is a, a starter or at least a national team player for Columbia who is in his prime at 25 years old. And the reaction is like a negative one. It's like, well, that's not Cavani. You know, it, it's that's that is this that is the struggle that Miami is going to have, the expectation that they're going to go sign as Latan. I think that they will eventually, but I also think that this league is changing. It's transforming and the desire for smart teams to spend six or seven million dollars on a Bastian Schweinsteiger or Zlatan Ibrahimovic is decreasing. And I also believe I saw I think that the price for these types of players, especially if they're toward the back end of their career, is dropping. I think MLS teams are no longer willing to spend for the most part, well above market value for those players. Now you could point to Chicago last year with Schweinsteiger and say that's simply not true, but Again, the teams that are doing it right are not spending way above market value for those players. So just because let's say they sign the the two players that I mentioned in my article, let's say they sign Roger Martinez from Club America and they sign Sebastian Drusi, the Argentinian striker from Zenit St. Petersburg as their next two designated players. Both of them in their mid 20s. Both of them have been or are national team players for their respective countries. Uh, Both of them have already been eight figure transfers in their career. Um, those are two pretty good signings. That doesn't mean that you can't find a 33, 34-year-old player who is a big name who comes and plays for the team on TAM. And I think that those need to, I think we need to start recalibrating our expectation and, and certainly also um, understanding that Miami might not necessarily be going for the the typical Miami market of sports fans. You know, we've never really seen it tested, um, this market, for, for pure soccer fans. It's a great soccer market. I'm interested to see, for example, how the Colombian community in Miami, which is massive, responds to a 25-year-old Colombian national team player playing in Miami. So... Um, they will spend a lot of money, whether they go the Lampard Pirlo route. I don't think it'll be that NYCFC route, but they're, they're going to spend at, at Atlanta and LAFC levels and, and probably above that when you start to factor in, 
um, the, the coaching and the amount that they've, they're spending on two different stadiums. Uh, they've brought in uh, Matias Pellegrini as well, a 19-year-old Argentine winger uh, slash designated player. Does he move the needle at all, do you think, for, for folks in Miami? Not right now, but mm-hmm. neither neither did Miguel Almiron when he was signed in Atlanta. This is true. Right? You know, it take, you know, sometimes on-field production, being an exciting team and a winning team is what puts the butts in the seats too, you know? And, and sometimes an up-and-coming player who establishes himself as one of the best in the league is – just as good or better than an established star. Like, I don't, I don't want to just say, you know, I don't know. Look, look at Zlatan. He was a huge success from a marketing standpoint. And, you know, he put, he, he filled stadiums everywhere he went in major league soccer. You know, Almiron did not do that, but he was the best player in the league and he won an MLS cup and the stands in Atlanta were completely full and and they were buying his jerseys like crazy. Same with Joseph Martinez, neither of whom would have been considered sexy names when they signed. And so, you know, I think that Paul McDonough was a part of that building process in Atlanta. I think he recognizes that, that if you believe you're getting really good players that are going to be very productive, it can be just as valuable as reaching for an aging star and overpaying them Um Whereas you can you can get a, a young or in their prime player and you know pay them according to that status and have them uh, be very very productive and um, still get the benefit of filling a stadium. Hey folks, Taylor jumping in. Much more from that conversation still to come. But right now I've got a conversation of a different kind. It's one over Skype with Daryl Grove. Hello, Daryl. Hello, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well here in sunny but slightly cold uh, Virginia. I know you love talking about weather, so let's talk all about all the weather. Does that sound good? How are things in Boston? Covered in snow. Boston are they really? is covered in snow. It was this morning, yeah. It was this morning. I don't know why that throws me off as though it's not like as though you're not like yeah. ten <laughs> hours away from me right now. But it's like there's snow somewhere. I think I just get so excited about the idea of snow that I want to hear in more about northeast, it. In the northeast in December? Well, I know. Oh, shocker. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just that it was sixty six degrees here yesterday and then snowing this morning. I'm confused by places that get sustained snow and don't have days of summer followed by days of winter. Well, I can tell you this. I had to navigate the Boston snow with my away luggage. Let's talk about not, it. Not a problem. Not mm-hmm. a problem. Those 360-degree uh, spinners kept me nice and mobile. Uh, which I believe is Daryl's way of saying that today's episode is not brought to you by the weather. It is brought to you by Away, uh, the thoughtful luggage for the modern traveler. Daryl, you are both thoughtful and modern, and you have luggage, and you travel. So I feel like this is <laughs> tailor-made for you. Yeah, it's right on the nose, right? Mm-hmm. Right on the nose. Um, so yeah, Away gave me the uh, the bigger carry-on, mm-hmm. um, essentially just to test it out. And the way I've tested it out is by taking it everywhere I go. <laughs> so far, it's been to it's been to Germany, it's been to the UK, and mm-hmm. now it's in Boston. And then Michigan after that. Michigan after that. Yeah, that's the ultimate test, right? Northern <laughs> Michigan, no less, where it is twenty degrees Fahrenheit right now. I was watching. I was watching uh, like a, a history buffs episode on YouTube last night. You know, I love that one. And uh, they did like a, a true history of the terror that expedition to find the Northwest Passage. And I feel like maybe oh, yeah. if they had had your away luggage, that would have gone a little bit better than it did. No spoilers maybe, there. Maybe it would because it's got a lightweight and durable yeah, shell. It's made to last for a lifetime of travel. Yeah, that, those were only made to last three years. I think those those <laughs> expeditions. So yeah, a lifetime. You've got the hundred day trial, which uh, lets you try any away product on the road, so you can see if it holds up to. The, the rigors of modern travel or travel in Michigan, uh, if you want to put those things as different things. Um, and then they've got uh, different uh, sort of features, uh, bells and whistles, but like useful bells and whistles. Daryl, I know you're a fan of their battery. 
I am a fan of their battery. I wouldn't trade it for actual bells and whistles because okay. the ejectable battery, it will do five full charges of my iPhone. Mm-hmm. It's also been used to charge my iPad so I can watch some Champions League as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it did also afford you the opportunity in Germany to every time I was like, looked at the Cooligans jealously as they had their, their remote battery pack chargers and things like that. And I was like, Dare, we got to get one of those to charge things. You're like, I already have one. It's built into my luggage. I was like, well, good for you. Good for <laughs> Actually, you. In Germany, it allowed me to uh, give you the the plug adapter. Yes, it did. Right, so you essentially had mine the whole time. Yes. So I just went. I kept going going back to my hotel room and charging mm-hmm. my phone via my uh, removable battery. So you indirectly benefited that way as well. I, I certainly did because uh, I arrived, I unpacked, I went to charge my phone in, and then I thought, oh yes, Europe, right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, if you have the ejectable battery, the bathroom stalls are, they go from floor to ceiling, and the plugs are a different shape. Yeah, I like one of those things more than the other. Um, yeah, and right. if you want to figure out if you would like Away, you can visit awaytravel.com slash TSS. You could use the promo code TSS during checkout. And again, they have the 100-day free trial, so you could use the promo code. Then you could have the 100-day trial. And if you don't like it, you could return it. If you do like it, which you will, then you can just keep it. Uh, so one more time, <laughs> awaytravel.com slash TSS and using the promo code TSS during checkout. Will that, will that link be in the show notes? I believe it will. I believe it will. So thank you to Away for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Daryl for reminding me to put things in show notes. And thank you to Daryl for being willing to take an MLS-centric uh, off-season quiz. Yeah, I don't know much about what, mm-hmm. why I'm being quizzed or what the quiz is, but I'm willing to subject myself to it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's, you know, it's off-season. There are moves happening. There are moves rumored. There are uh, front office uh, changes being made. And we haven't really talked about MLS since uh, the MLS Cup final. So I figured like this would be you know, a, a good little quick way to catch up with some things. I've got seven questions for you. Some are faster <laughs> than others. We don't have to do all of them if we don't want to. We're going to start off with uh, one semi-close to home. Who is the goalkeeper that DC United were able to sign this off-season from a club in Europe for a cool $750,000? Oh, come on. It's Bill Hamid, right? It is Bill Hamid, former homegrown player that they let go for free. Yep. And now they've paid money to sign him back. (laughs) They sure have. Huge mistake. Uh, Yeah, not great. So there's one for one, though. So that's great. That means his mistake to knock them out of the playoffs in 2020 will be very expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Off-season shots fired at Bill Hamid. And I like it. Uh, Daryl, yeah. which club that missed the playoffs uh, has tried to rectify that by signing Liga MX Apertura joint top scorer Alan Polito? Oh, come on. You insult mm. me with these questions. <laughs> Sporting KC. All right. All right. So you want me to get a little bit harder then? I, I, was, I, no. just, you know, I don't know if you've, no. you, you've, you've been – how much attention you've been paying. I don't know if you name, know players' names off the top of your head. Let's well, go with this I mean, one then. His, I mean, his, I, mm. I, I'm on Twitter a lot, right? So I see a lot of the MLS transfers on Twitter and I listen yep. to Extra Time. So, okay. you know, I'll get my news that way as well. Yeah. All right. Well, then, then we'll, we'll ramp up the difficulty a little bit. We won't. Uh, <laughs> who is going to coach Inter-Miami next season? I don't know. Do they have that is correct. No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought I was about to learn who it was. All right. All right. But uh, d- different question, a little bit harder. Uh, who is going to coach NYCFC next season? Uh, didn't Dom Tarant say he was staying? Uh, Dom Tarant is, I believe, gone. Nobody knows oh. is also the correct answer for NYCFC. Oh, wow. They also do not okay. have a manager. Uh, Daryl, final one for you, if you can sense the pattern here. Uh, who is going to coach the Chicago Fire next season? 
I don't know that either. Uh, the correct answer is their new badge. That is going to be who's in charge yeah. right now. Because currently that position is also vacant. Uh, none of those three teams have managers right now. I believe the season starts in about three months. Uh, a little fewer yeah. than that. So they might want to figure that one out. All right. Uh, a few more specific ones. Uh, yeah. According to Italian media, Roma and Inter Milan are both tracking which young attacker from Atlanta United. From Atlanta United, it would be Ezekiel Barker. You are correct. Well done, sir. Well uh, done, sir. If yes. You'd, if you'd asked me three years ago to project which young Atlanta United attacker would be being I know who I would have I thought. Might have said, I might have said Andrew Carlton. But instead, mm-hmm. it's which young attacker will be playing for Atlanta United 2 next season. I was going to say, he's heavily on the radar of Atlanta United 2. Yes, I believe that, yeah. that, that is correct. Uh, final one, uh, which teams currently employ Tab Ramos and Oscar Pereja? Oh, Houston. And? Oscar Pereja Oscar would be. Pereja, he is now at Orlando City. There we go, Daryl. Easy. Look at that. You said you haven't been paying attention, and yet you nailed your MLS quiz. Well done. Even though you, know, you didn't know for sure that Chicago and NYCFC didn't have coaches. You know, I do this for a living, right? I know. I know. I know. But uh, <laughs> there have been times in the past when I have thought, like, Daryl will love this quiz. And then they were way too hard, and you did the opposite of love it. <laughs> you did what I do when uh, you go on Puntastic episodes, is just kind of sit there silently and stare at me. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any more questions? I feel like nope. I'm in a groove here. I think you, 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 you nailed them all for the most part, so well done. Which of those stories has been the most interesting to you so far? Which of so, the stories you just mentioned is yes. definitely Pulido. Yeah, um, right? Not, not just because it's a big, big name come in. Um, I'm basically going to share some facts I know about it. Mm-hmm. The transfer fee for him is more – isn't it like double – It is. Um, the total amount that Sporting KC have ever spent on transfers. Oh, I don't um, know that one. I know it's it's. I think yeah. it's double their record fee for sure. Uh, so, I think it's double their total ever. Wow. Fee. Yeah, I think so. And then there's also the idea. I believe in my very specific predictions at the start of last season. I really specifically said they don't have a number nine. They will struggle to find mm-hmm. a goal square. They haven't had a dedicated striker since Dom Dwyer left. Right. right. I think Peter Vermees has tried to have like this rotating cast of a front three who will all share the goals around. So this is essentially Peter Vermees saying, yeah, that was a terrible idea. Let's get a proper number nine in there. Yeah, that, they seem to have done that when you get the uh, yeah. the joint top score in Liga Nekis last season from Chivas. Um, and I think he's uh, 28 years old, so not like like a, a young one. He's not like 21 or anything like that, but he's also not the 34-year-old striker being brought in for one more season. You're bringing him in yeah. in like roughly around his prime uh, and expecting him to score the big goals. Maybe there's a little bit of a resale after like, like a season or two if things go very, very well. But if they don't, you've still brought in a, a marquee name. And it is interesting to see a team that isn't... Uh, I've seen many people make this point, like that isn't Atlanta, New York, or LA, one of the LAs, spending a bunch of money. Yeah, I'd be interested to see um, what Alan Pulido makes of Kansas City. I, I mean, we enjoyed it there. Uh, we we, they we got did. The, we got the Greenway. You can he can ride his bike. I'm sure that's what he'll care about the most. Uh, if he's a big baseball fan, they've the got that. Yeah, yeah, they've got that. They've got the United Soccer Coaches, and they've got, I believe, the headquarters of the IRS. What more do you need, Daryl? <laughs> A giant dinosaur near a train station. Buddy, have I got good news for you. <laughs> I've also got good news for you that uh, today's episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. So say Alan Polito, the big thing he's missing in Kansas City is maybe some like like telenovelas or Mexican programming that he can't otherwise get because now he's living in the United States. There's no possible way that he could stream something that's available in Mexico but not available in here. Is there, Daryl? 
he's just got to get a subscription to mm-hmm. Express VPN, then he can mask his IP um, and get get the IP to say that he is in Mexico. Then he can watch all the Mexican telenovelas he wants. Yes, that was the only Mexican programming I could think of off the top of my head that wasn't Liga MX. Uh, maybe he'll still want to watch that one, or he could watch that in American television, obviously. But yeah, I, the hope would be that maybe he he can watch himself play an MLS All Star next season. Uh, I'm sure he'll try to be going for that one. But if he wanted to watch any other programming from around the world, if he wants to watch Match of the Day, or if he wants to watch Dutch Netflix, as we've talked about previously, <laughs> uh, you, he can do all of those things. Yesterday. Do, do, I think we always end up with BBC and Dutch Netflix, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, and Mal- a Malaysian subscription, sorry, a Taiwanese subscription to Eleven Sports. Yeah, it's almost like maybe part <laughs> of that is in the copy and part of it is our own individual <laughs> user experience. But where did Dutch Netflix come from? It's because when we did the uh, Marvel 11, you used ExpressVPN to be able to use Dutch Netflix because they had all of the uh, MCU movies available, whereas American Netflix did not. It was Winter Soldier was missing. But that's I was able to the watch one. it on Dutch Netflix. Yep, yep, yes. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so that would be the Hoop Holland Hoop. I mean, <laughs> hoop Bucky Hoop, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, if you want to protect your online activity today, which is a service that obviously comes with ExpressVPN, they uh, every time you go online, all your network data is encrypted and secure and safe from hackers, which is very important. So if you want to protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free, you. Can go to expressvpn.com slash soccer. Daryl, I think I did the URLs last time. You could do the rest this time. Oh, it's a spelling test as well now. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's expressvpn.com slash soccer for three months free with a one year package. Once again, that's expressvpn.com slash soccer. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you very much to Daryl Grove for taking the time out of his busy schedule in Boston to chat with me. How are things in Boston aside from the weather? Yeah, so I had a meeting with my doctor this morning and a, another infusion for the clinical trial I'm on, and it's, it's all looking pretty good. Um, so it sounds like I might be around for at least a little while longer. You are not superstitious. That- I am. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor did say get someone to knock on wood for you. I mean, how, how disconcerting would that be for you as a patient if the doctor like, turned his clipboard over and knocked on the wood or something like that? <laughs> like, you're doing great. Knock on wood. We hope you'll continue yeah. to do great. Knock on wood. <laughs> Well, I'd be like, well, at least Taylor would feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah, funny well, how it, it can be kind of like a reassuring little like habit to do, and then simultaneous, if someone else does it, it's very disconcerting. Like, like the <laughs> like homeowners insurance uh, homeowners insurance person comes in and is like, knock on wood, your house won't burn down. It's like that's not what I wanted to hear from you at all. <laughs> so yeah, all is good, and the doctor even kind of encouraged me to get mm-hmm. back to playing soccer. So I'm hoping. Really? That's something I can do in January. Yeah, we've, we've booked the, uh, the YMCA mm-hmm. for indoor, right? I, I, I should have told you off air, but that meeting that I had went well for went our well, team to play yeah. at the YMCA. Yeah, so we should be doing that uh, starting first week of January. Uh, I believe and what yeah. you told me was that we're not, allowed, we're, not, we're not supposed to break things, and if we do, we just need to tell someone. Oh, I did tell you that, yes. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. if we break any windows, we have to let them know, which I felt like was a, a, dis, a disrespectful um, opinion of our soccer playing right? skills. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like in this concrete and like – like windows at the very, very, very top of the room in this yeah. like 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 barren room. If you break anything, please let us know. It's like, <laughs> what could we do? Maybe they just think we have really hard shots. Maybe that's it. They just think you're super tough and you'll like run through walls. Here's a very inside joke. She's seen Nick shoot. That's what it is. <laughs> that's a joke for Nick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm glad that things are going well. I'm glad uh, uh, that you are uh, having a little bit of uh, free time after everything. Uh, I'm assuming you're you're done for your time up there. 
Uh, no, I've this got um, an echocardiogram ah. in the morning. Uh, mm. Just to, it, it's part of the sort of protocol of the trial. Is there's a lot of tests get run on me, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm gonna have my heart looked at tomorrow, and then I'm off to Northern Michigan. Which part of the EKG is your favorite part? Is it putting the weird sticky things on, or is it ripping off your chest hair afterwards? So the, actually, this isn't an EKG, but I did have one of those uh, ah. last month, and it's definitely the ripping them off afterwards. You normally <laughs> have to pay good money to get someone to do that. <laughs> you do. You definitely do. And on that note, I guess, we'll say <laughs> goodbye to Dale Grove. Enjoy Boston. Enjoy Michigan. Uh, and we will uh, chat with you soon. And uh, yeah. with the... Oh, I just realized, sorry, just as the irony is I did have to pay good money for someone to do that. <laughs> Thanks to the American healthcare system. Thanks to the American healthcare system, indeed. Uh, And now back to the rest of today's episode. Uh, You mentioned Nashville SC earlier. Uh, Most of the coverage has been on their season ticket sales thus far, or the lack thereof. Should folks in Nashville be concerned, or from what you've seen in this roster build thus far, do you think they will be like in a better position than maybe it seems from some of the coverage they've gotten? No, I think I I think they should absolutely be concerned about the ticket sales. Mm -hmm. Um, You want, you know, we've not really seen this problem with expansion teams. You know, the benefit of the way MLS has picked expansion markets to this point has been that there have been a lot of, there's been a lot of excitement for those teams coming into MLS and that's what's made expansion work so well. So it it certainly should be concerning that they've only sold 5,000 season tickets. That's not a good number at all. Um, you know, as far as the roster build, I'm I'm kind of in a wait and see on this. Look, I like some of the moves. I feel like they did overpay for some of the players. Um, but, you know, if you are and this is part of the story when I was talking to Mike Jacobs about it, if you are a mid market to small market MLS team and you're you have limited funds that you're going to spend. And, and that's not to say Nashville hasn't spent anything because Mukhtar was not a an insignificant signing. Okay. They spent several million dollars on a transfer fee to bring him in. Okay. But that, you know, they know what their ceiling is on how much they can spend. And so they say, we want, we are going to go spend the other asset that we have that, that we can spend. And that's allocation money. And we're going to be willing to overspend for guys that we think are going to help us. So, you know, did they overspend, um, you know, on Anibal Godoy, yes, I think they did. Did they overspend on David Akam? I think they did, though there, you know, Akam has drawn interest from overseas. Philadelphia would have had options to potentially sell him. Um, so you say, okay, I'm willing to overspend to make sure Akam's on my team because I believe if we can get him healthy and we can get him back to where he was in 2017 with Chicago, he can be a difference maker in this league. We're going to overspend on Godoy because we know what he's going to bring us. We know what we're going to get out of him in a very important position on the field for an expansion team. You know, they get Dax McCarty on a budget deal. Randall Leal from Saprissa, um, you know, they, they, I thought, were right on and actually under what I would have expected them to pay Saprissa for, who is the best player in Costa Rica right now. So they've been able to um, spend that allocation money in, on trades within the league, s- spend smartly with the, the kind of transfer fee money that they have. Um, I don't know that they're going to be a, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team in year one, but I think that, um, considering their budget, considering their market, they're, they're putting themselves in a a position to be competitive. Now, what are they missing? 
a goal scorer. They, they, I don't know where they're going to get their goals from. They've got Abu Dunladi. He hasn't been able to stay healthy in Minnesota. Brandon Vasquez. I like Brandon Vasquez. He scored some goals when he was playing for Joseph Martinez. Can you count on him to be your number nine and to score 20 goals for you? No. Dominic Baji, same thing. He's an eight to 10 goal scorer in major league soccer. That's not going to be enough. So, um, you know, Daniel, David Akam, uh, Daniel Rios, can he transition from USL to MLS? I don't know. Still, uh, I'm, you know, still up in the air. David Akam, he can get you eight to ten goals if he stays healthy. So you start trying to piece these goals together, and I think that's where the problem is. You know, if Nashville's going to be more competitive in year one, they're going to have to go spend some money on a number nine. But the rest of the roster, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm okay with it. Uh, you know, it's going to take time. Every expansion team takes time to build the depth that's actually necessary. You know, you look back on everyone talking about Cincinnati last year. A, a lot of analysts, you know, MLSsoccer.com was doing a lot of it, saying, "Oh, look at this eleven; they're going to be fine." Like this is a, you, you you need far more than eleven to survive an MLS season. You really truly need twenty two, twenty four guys that you can count on to play and play well. And it takes time to build that. It takes two to three years to get to that point. You feel like you never want to be in that position of like talking yourself into like, this will be fine. This will totally be fine. As long as these 11 guys don't get hurt at all and have the best years ever, they're going to be totally fine. That's really not the position you want to be in. You do want to be in the position of probably Atlanta when you're an expansion team, I'm going to say. Uh, We have focused mostly on the South and Southwest uh, thus far in this episode, but we're going to stay there uh, because I wanted to ask your thoughts on Atlanta United. Uh, They've made the Emerson Hyman loan permanent. Uh, They signed Brooks Lennon. They brought back Jeff Lorenowitz. They let Darlington Nagby move to Columbus for a decent amount of gam and tam. what else will they need to do to continue to win silverware to continue to be as competitive as they have been? Well, they have to make smart decisions with their with their buying and selling because you're, you're going to look at the I, I would expect Vialba to be moved. I would expect Gonzalez Perez to be sold, and you still have to manage the Gressel uh, contract situation as well. To me, it's a no brainer. You know, I got in a little bit of a Twitter debate with Stu Holden about the value of Julian Gressel. It's, and to me, it's kind of a joke. As you do. Totally normal. Yeah, yeah it's kind of a – it's kind of a – I don't want to – I'm trying to say this without being disrespectful to Stu because he just has a different opinion than I do. But to try to say that Julian Gressel hasn't been um, critical or valuable for Atlanta United, that he's not an important part of their ability to win is – is wrong. I mean, he's he leads the team in assists over the course of their history. He leads the team in minutes played over the course of their history. There's no one that provides more goals and more assists to Joseph Martinez. So where where is his lack of value? If he was so not valuable and not important to their winning, then why has he stayed on the field so consistently over three years? And that you know, that's the thing to me is like this is a guy who deserves a, ra- a raise and a significant raise, and dragging out that process or negotiating it in a way where you're trying to that you're making it a longer process by coming in really really low on your first offer and having to haggle and and tug of war your way up to a reasonable number is silly. You know, this is a player that's been essential to your team for three years. You and and the funny thing is, they took a gamble, and I and and teams do this, and players do this, right? You know, Aaron Long bet on himself a couple years ago and got a nice big fat new contract, playing you know by playing out his other contract. 
And and Julian Gressel essentially is doing the same thing. You know, if if Atlanta United had given him four hundred thousand dollars a year last year for a three or four year deal, I would have been fine with it. They would have gotten away with it. He's got two years of production, but you know, we'll see. Now we've got Barco. Now we've got Pitti Martinez. We have Vialba. We have Joseph Martinez. Is he really going to see the field? Franco Escobar right back. You know, that's what Atlanta United was looking at, and they were betting essentially that he was going to find himself on the bench when you look at those other players that are kind of have to be on the field, quote-unquote. And what what happened was Gressel won the job, and it was Vialba who ended up on the bench. You know, he Gressel started. And when you make a bet and you lose that bet, that's then you pay, right? And And that's okay because you lost a bet, and by losing that bet, it meant you got a really productive player out of Julian Gressel. It was a it was kind of a win win out of a lose situation for Atlanta. Um, this is my rant to say: just pay the guy, just pay the guy what he's worth. It's it's really to me it's like a, it's a no brainer. And they're gonna they're sometimes when you have a lot of other situations like Vialba and Gonzalez Perez that you're gonna have to solve. Um, I always say try to minimize your headaches, and I feel like they're creating a headache here where they don't need one. All of that was like reasoned and well thought out, and yet the title of this episode is now going to be Paul Tenorio says Stu Holden is wrong and maybe also injury prone, depending on how uh, combative I want to make things. Yeah, I mean, look, Stu and I and his injuries go back a long time. I went to <laughs> Delaware to do a story on Stu during, I think it was second knee injury recovery. Um, yeah, I hope Stu listens and, and realizes that once again I'm telling him that I disagree strongly with his point of view. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, some teams we haven't yet mentioned. Uh, I always manage to bring up DC United in every MLS podcast because I am nominally a DC United fan. I really have no idea what to make of them this season. Rooney gone, Acosta is still around, but maybe not, but maybe gone. I still never quite know what to make of him. Uh, then they bring back Bill Hamid, a player that was a homegrown player. They now let him go for a free Brought him back for seven hundred fifty thousand. Doesn't seem like they're spending uh, particularly wisely or selling particularly wisely either. Where are they right now this offseason, in your opinion? Not far enough along. Mm-hmm. I mean, they brought Yamil Assad is going to be back. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a helpful player, but he's not a difference maker, and they're going to need two difference makers on the field now. You you have to replace Rooney. I know you have Ola Kamara, so it might not be at the number nine, but you lose Rooney and you lose Lucho Acosta. And so you need to replace both of them as difference makers. And and to me, that that means you go spend on a big on a winger, potentially, uh, and definitely on a number 10. But they need they need to go sign two DPs uh, that are going to elevate the team and be difference makers. And I don't know where they stand in that. I hope um, to get some updates soon. I'll be down in in Raleigh for the college cup uh showcase and hope to stalk as many general managers as possible and figure out what what teams are thinking but you know i think if they aren't able to get i mean at least one of those two major signings and and specifically a number 10 that it's gonna it's gonna be a difficult year for dc united and they're gonna have to kind of revert to to grinding out results um which they're capable of doing but I think that, you know, with the new ownership group and the new stadium, it would be a shame if that's what they ended up doing. 
Would you expect them, like with the way they've operated in the past versus the more recent past, would you expect if they did go out and sign those sort of impact playmakers, would they be more like proven names that people are more familiar with, like a Wayne Rooney? Or do you think it could be sort of younger playmakers from South America or elsewhere that are maybe less heralded but could have a big impact? Yeah, I mean, I think it could be either. I think it's it's difficult. It's very difficult to replace Wayne Rooney's name. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there aren't a lot of players out there that can move the needle like that. You know, the Rooney's, the Schweinsteiger's, the Ibrahimovic's. I think we're starting to kind of reach a point where there's going to be a gap in what what names can do that and and what will they cost? Where are they willing to go play? And how interested are MLS teams if you can spend the same amount of money and go get a younger, potentially more productive playmaker that actually helps you win and can be exciting? But if you do that, you also have to be able to sell that idea. And you can't – I think it becomes much more difficult if you're doing that and you're expecting one young player to make the difference, right? If you're signing a 22- or 23-year-old Miguel Almiron and you don't sign – Joseph Martinez and you don't sign Vialba and you don't sign Nagby and you don't sign all these other guys that go around that player, then you put a lot of pressure on the one younger guy to be the guy for you. So that's why I think they have to go out and get multiple playmakers. You know, they have to go get one or two in their prime difference makers who, when you you put them behind or around an Ola Kamara, who's an established finisher, Yamil Assad, who we know can be a really good complementary player. Now you start to have, you know, a team that's dangerous and then you can sell those stars. You can sell those stars because they will be productive. Um, I, I don't, I would not expect DC United to sign a bigger name established star this time around. That doesn't mean that they're not working on something for the future. I just don't think there's anything right now. What about the LA Galaxy, who do have a DP spot open right now, as far as I can tell? Uh, they brought in Sasha Kleshton. You mentioned him previously. Uh, what do you think they're going to be looking to do this offseason? Yeah, I mean, I would expect the Galaxy to be more in the um, Pavone type of player okay. market. You know, they, they, I think under Dennis DeClosa, they're, they're going to want young, dynamic, fast uh productive players who can establish themselves in MLS uh, and grow in MLS rather than, uh, you know, another Zlatan type signing. So that would be my expectation for what the Galaxy are looking for. And I would expect that that search will be almost exclusively in, in Latin America. All right. Um, And we, we saw last season players like sort of with the American connection, like uh, Keaton Parks and Emerson Hyman, American players playing abroad uh, who came back. Uh, Keaton Parks is now back with Benfica, I believe. Uh, Emerson Hyman, obviously, with Atlanta. Are there other like Americans of the middle to like upper tier that you think are destined for Major League Soccer at some point this season? Oh, that's a good question. I think like Bobby I, I, Wood is the main main candidate in my mind. Well, the problem is, I mean, yes, I could see Bobby Wood ending up back in MLS, but you know, these, a lot of these guys, you have to wait for their contracts to run out because they're making so much money overseas that they're never going to get to come to Like Bobby Wood is never going to make the money in MLS that he's currently making. And, and that's the problem that he's having right now, actually in Germany is they, the, the club wants him to agree to terminate his contract because they were relegated. And it's, uh, 
an unwieldy Bundesliga level contract and he's not doing it, he's not going to see that money for the rest of his career. So he's in no rush to move. And I think, I think that, um, you know, I think you'll see that, you know, maybe with similar level of players that, that they're kind of waiting for those, those contracts to run out. Now, there are some interesting names that, you know, I could see coming back uh, again, like an, it comes down to price, like Andy Nahar, former DC United homegrown. You know, he's making good money in Belgium. And I don't know that MLS teams are ready to spend a million dollars even on a right back, let alone a couple million dollars. Um, so, you know, can the, can the price be right for Andy Nahar to come back to MLS? Um, you know, similarly, I, I like a Matt Miazga. Like, I think there's more money for Miazga in Europe still than there would be to come back to MLS. Kyle Lahren is... There's been a lot of reports. A lot of teams are inquiring, will Kyle Lahren want to come back to MLS? Well, he went on loan to Belgium, and he's scoring goals consistently there. And now Besiktas is saying maybe we shouldn't have sent him on loan. It's more likely that he's going to stay somewhere in Europe than it is for him to come back. So, um, you know, one interesting name, not an American that would be coming back. I do think I, I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody like Jovinko come back to Toronto. We saw now they just signed Michael Bradley to a TAM deal. So they'll have a DP spot open. Um, but, you know, as far as Americans coming back, I just don't none that really come to mind quickly as as being real options to to be brought back this season. And, and who would be the like the Giovinco type candidates potentially? I mean, I mean we, we hear a lot of like Mesut Ozil, I feel like is the one that we always hear about Mar- uh, Mario Gutz. I can't remember if that was you or uh, others who have suggested that he might be I a think- good signing. I think players like I like I think I think Cavani will be. I, I could see Cavani in MLS before the end of the year. Okay, that's that that would be like the bigger name that I think ends up in Major League Soccer. Now I know he's a little older. He's not an in your prime surprise guy. Not a little older, a lot older. Hmm. Um, you know, as far as the the in their prime players, um, you know, I, I don't know. I I think I think. I think Inter-Miami will get the Drusy deal over the finish line. And, I mean, this is a guy I know he's not – I mean, no one really knew – not no one knew, but few fewer people knew Jovinko and what he was doing for Juve in mm-hmm. Europe. You know, Drusy's a guy – I think he was sold for like 17 to $20 million, something like that, to Zenit St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wouldn't be an insignificant signing for him to come to Major League Soccer. I, I think that is a deal that will eventually get over the finish line. Um so uh, maybe maybe okay. that's the name. I know it's not as fun because it's already been out there, but I, I do think that that's one that could get done. No, I I, I think I find him captivating because that's a player who who does have you know Champions League experience with Zenit getting eliminated, but still you know he's in there. He's playing in Russia. I'm going to assume that uh, Miami or wherever else might be a bit more accommodating. What what does he offer from what you've seen and what you've heard that would make him that sort of next next level caliber player? Yeah, I mean he's been productive in two different difficult environments you know he scored i think it was 17 goals for river plate when he was he ended up being sold uh to zenit and then in his first two years in russia he was a very productive player um that production's dropped off a little bit in this third season um but i always kind of think that sometimes when you're in an environment like russia it becomes a little bit more difficult to balance your life and and your happiness with production on the field yeah i'd say that's true um you know, when you see that type of production in two different environments like that, I think that 
I feel like that will translate well to MLS. He's also um, a young, dynamic, attacking player. And this league is built for those players to thrive, right? He is going to face defending that is um, lower level than what he's seen in other places. Uh, I'm going to assume that that exact same statement could extend to Alan Polito. Obviously, now it was Sporting KC, Golden Boot winner in the Apertura last season. He's won the league. He's won cup competitions with with uh, Chivas before coming to KC. How big of a deal is that signing, and how much success do you expect him to find in Major League Soccer? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a big signing for the league. Actually, as we're talking right now, I'm watching George. Uh, edit my column. Oh, on that must signing. be fun. That must be fun for you to watch I'm him just, edit it. I'm just getting scared of <laughs> all the points. Um, no, I think, you know, I say in the story, you're never sure of what a player is going to produce, right? There's no guarantee that he's going to score goals to the rate that he has, that he did last year in Mexico. It was the best year of his career. But when you score goals like that in a league like Liga Mekis, that's very difficult. Um, there has to be a belief that you can do the same in Major League Soccer, um, that those that skill set is going to translate to a, um, a, a league that favors attacking players. Now, in Mexico, the game is more wide open, and, and so maybe that can lead to some production as well. But I think that his physicality and his... Um, I don't think that there won't be any issues with his his reliance on service because when you look at Sporting Kansas City teams from always pretty much under Peter Vermees at least under uh, that in recent memory, you know it's a four three three with wingers that uh, can get up and down the field, come inside to combine, and and ideally you have the fullbacks overlapping and putting service into the box, um, and then a lot of combination play toward the number nine and. When they do that well, you get Dom Dwyer a couple a few years back when he scored whatever it was, 17, 18 goals, or maybe it was 27 goals, something crazy. It's one big year that he had. And um, and I think that I'm not saying that that's the goal that you have for or that's the expectation you have for, for Pouli, though. But I do think um, I do think that he is a player who will fit that system well. And I think. I think that he has the skill set to be successful in MLS. And um, now it's about uh, the other parts that are a little bit more difficult to control. How long does it take to transition to the league, to get to know his teammates, to understand the system? How long does it take him to get comfortable living in Kansas City, to adjust to a new country? Um, you know, how well does he acclimate to the culture that Peter Vermees has in place in sporting, where which is uncompromising you know he's not really willing to change the expectation that he has for his players for their everyday training habits and all of those things that are that is the x factor with any signing that you you just can't control um, but the on the field stuff I think he's a really good fit and I think you know I think he can be a, a productive player over the next few seasons what about our, our friends up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, starting with Portland? Uh, from what I understand, negotiations with Diego Valeri ongoing. They have brought in uh, a couple players this offseason. Uh, have the Timbers had a strong enough uh, like sort of start to the offseason, or what do they need to do to sort of be back in the level uh, to which they become accustomed? 
Yeah, they are really close, you know, according to Sam Stasekel's reporting to to re-signing Valeri to a TAM deal. So I think you have to say it's been a productive early start to the offseason because that was that was priority number one is to get Valeri re-signed. Uh, now you have two open designated player slots and you have to hit on those. And the offseason will be dictated by what happens with those two DP spots, you know, there's a great story that's on the athletic right now. Matt Pence just went and sat down with Merritt Paulson and he talks about just how crucial of an off season this is for the Timbers because they are more actively reshaping the roster than they have been in recent years. And they're making it in the image of their new coach, new ish coach. You know, Savarese is going to be able to dictate a little bit more of what he wants out of these key, key positions and key players and so I think it's still an incomplete. They have a lot left to do, and and I think their entire offseason will be judged on really on how well they they nail these two DPS. Uh, and Seattle, for their part, have let uh, Victor Rodriguez go. Uh, how much work do they have remaining in terms of strengthening what was already a decently strong team? Whenever you win MLS Cup, you got to say they're decently strong. Yeah, um, yeah. I think they, you know, they're another team. I don't think they're they're nearly have nearly as much work as Portland does. They're just kind of doing what a lot of Garth Lagerwey teams seem to do consistently, which is, you know, you drop off a couple complimentary pieces maybe every once in a while. It seems like in Seattle more than usual, you'll one DP out and another DP in. And um, in this case, they they don't have that right now. But I, I do think I, actually they I think they will be shopping for another DP. Um, but you know, I think they. You know, they've got to just kind of add some complimentary pieces to the roster and, um, you know, a, a tan, at least a TAM player and um, and try to carry forward the, the way that they played toward the end of the year. If they can get Jordan Morris continuing to produce at the levels he did last season, I think they're going to be in fine shape. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but there's uh, more than a few clubs we haven't yet uh, discussed. So from a more like general standpoint, I'm wondering who uh, from the teams that we haven't yet talked about do you think are in the best position or have had the best start to the offseason, have done the best work? And then simultaneously, or maybe after that, rather, not simultaneously, that'd be a bit of an ask. Uh, who do you think has the most work uh, still to be done of the teams we ha- we've haven't yet discussed? Oh, um, well, I think that you know, I'll start with Toronto. I thought Toronto bringing Josie and Michael Bradley back at the the deal levels that they did was was going to be really important for them. I'm intrigued by picking up Juan Agudelo in the reentry draft, adding him to the mix. So I, I would say early on, I kind of like what Toronto's been doing so mm-hmm. far. Um, so that's one team that I'll give some props to. Um, on the side of a team that's got a lot left to do, I think Vancouver has a lot left to do and a lot of money to spend. And if they can get this Cavallini signing done, that would be a really good first step. But they have a lot left to do, I think. And I think, um, you know, Minnesota has a really strong core coming back. But when you lose Darwin Quintero, and I think they, you know, could potentially, you know, be moving on from Angelo Rodriguez as well. You know they have a lot left to do in this offseason as well at key spots to uh, to keep that team in the playoffs. 
All right. Well, uh, Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's always uh, good to have you back on, and it's good to have you back uh, writing about soccer, even if, if I'm sure it's bittersweet to uh, no longer like just spend your days uh, taking care of a small child. But now you can take care of George Qureshi, so it kind of balances out. He takes care of me, man. I'm done. I'm done doing the ter- uh, caretaking. So um, no, it's good to be back. I appreciate you having me on, and yeah. um, you know, look forward to the next one of these. And I look forward to your next uh, like hypothetical what if uh, piece with Sam Steshkal because I, lo- <laughs> I love the one about uh, how you all would change it up in MLS uh, rules and regulations. And I'm gonna guess that will become more and more pertinent as we get closer and closer to the CBA negotiations and everything that's happening there. Yeah, this is going to be a good opportunity for the league now to tell us how wrong we are about everything we wrote um, <laughs> when we get close to the, when the CBA gets done. So. Have, have you had any sort of like mocking responses or mocking emails from anybody in positions of authority saying like, what are you guys talking about? This isn't going to work. Not yet. I all think right. they're all they're all saving it for the bar this weekend <laughs> at the uh, MLS showcase. So I'm sure I'll get razzed pretty good. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing about that and many other topics. But uh, for now, Paul, thank you uh, once again for taking the time. Thanks so much. 